When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Thanks to everybody who participated in our Get Your Friends Into the Box campaign. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of entries, and uh, we have selected at random, well, actually, the computer did. Yeah, we didn't select it. Yeah. uh, The three winners, and they are... But... Drum roll. Christian Violet, uh, Kate, Paul Yak Brown, and uh, Ryan Gillen. And if you've not been notified by email yet, uh, you soon will be. We'll get your account set up. You are now officially, you've been inducted into the inner circle of freaks on Patreon. Aww. And you get all of the uh, special benefits that all of the uh, inner circle of freaks do on Patreon. And maybe we'll see you on the next Zoom. That would be amazing. Which is coming up shortly. Not because we're due for one, but because I, I'm i still very sad. And I need you to distract me. I okay. See. Okay. All right. Well, I can distract you with a story right Please, now. Please, yes. If, if you'd like. It takes place in the shadows of the natural world, far removed from our understanding, uh, there exists a very strange entity. It does not belong to either the plant family or the animal family. It's not a fungus. It's something entirely different. It's kind of in between animal, plant, and fungus. It's incredibly intelligent. It can unravel the intricacies of uh, complex city networks, even though it doesn't have eyes or a brain. And it can navigate ridiculously complex mazes with an uncanny sense of purpose. What I'm speaking of is not of this world. Or, well, so it may seem. The extraordinary intelligence I'm talking about belongs to none other than the otherworldly inhabitants known as slime mold. Slime mold. That was an awful lot of buildup for slime mold. (laughs) Well, you'll see why. They have an uncanny nature. They've got like this hidden genius built right in. 
When you think of slime mold, I think of like mold or some kind of a fungus or it's none of those things. So slime mold is not a mold? No, it's not a mold. It's something in between. Is it like, okay, but you said it's not a fungus. No, it's not a fungus. It's not a plant. It's not an animal. It's something in between. And yet it exhibits a collective and singular intelligence that has really surprised scientists and natural enthusiasts. This organism, humble slime mold, has a story of intelligence hidden beneath that pile of gelatinous goo. Okay, where does slime mold come from? How is it created? Yeah. Spores. Spores, like like mold. Like mold or fungus, but it doesn't fit into that category. Okay, and... and, uh, but why, why isn't it the mold, though? Slime mold has been on Earth for a very, very, very long time, about a billion years. There's some of the most primitive life forms on our planet, an incredible example of uh, resilience. They've been able to survive so many catastrophic events over the billions of years, over the epochs of time, and they seem to have a really unique ability to adapt to their environment. And despite their age, their ancient lineage, it wasn't until relatively recently that scientists began to discover how friggin' intelligent these things are. Up until the early 20th century, most biologists uh, dismissed slime mold as just some kind of an oddity, kind of straddling the line between plants and animals. It wasn't until the mid-20th century that researchers started to take a closer look, and the discoveries that followed just blew their minds. So we have known for a long time that it's not plant or animal? Right. It's It was just considered a uh, biological oddity. Like the platypus. Perhaps. <laughs> One of the most intriguing aspects of slime mold intelligence is their remarkable ability to solve complex problems not singularly, but collectively, without any central command or communication system. Here's a real-life example. Wait, like body snatchers? (laughs) Wow, I didn't think about that. Um... I don't want to think about that because those were spores too, weren't Uh they? Oh my God. In 2010, a group of Japanese researchers conducted an experiment using slime mold, the species Physarum polycephalum. They placed the slime mold in a large Petri dish and they took oat flakes, like oatmeal, and they positioned them to mimic all of the subway stops, like if you took the subway map mm-hmm. and you noticed like where all of the subway stops are, okay. you, you place an oat flake there okay. on the Petri dish. And the researchers were amazed that the slime mold began to grow and spread, forming a network that astonishingly resembled the actual transportation system of Tokyo, including additional major highways and rail networks. So it was finding the most efficient way to get to the oat flakes. Yes, the slime molds, of course, don't have eyes or brains to process visual information. They relied on their ability to move toward food sources and optimize their growth. In this case, the oat flakes acted as the slime mold's uh, food source, and it adjusted its growth pattern to efficiently connect them all, recreating almost perfectly Tokyo's transportation network. How did how does slime mold even find a food source? Does it how does it sense food source? 
it must be something on a, on a chemical level that they they sense it somehow. Oh. Uh, but they're able to figure out the most efficient way to get to all of these different points. Smart. The the implication of this experiment where slime mold recreated the Tokyo transportation system, it's profound. The slime mold had effectively solved a complex problem of designing an efficient transportation network without any form of centralized planning. It did so through the process of decentralized decision-making, which is akin to the way that ant colonies and bee swarms can also operate. So is this the way we're going to start city planning, is using slime mold? Yep. Wow. This has sparked a whole new field of research called Biologically Inspired Adaptive Network Design. Wow. So in some of the newer cities where they're putting in new transportation systems, Mm -hmm. they're looking at having slime mold design it. That makes so much sense. The great job, slime mold. Well done. You deserve an oatmeal swirler instead of just plain old oats. (laughs) Or like the ones with the little dinosaur eggs in it. Well, slime molds don't just display collective intelligence. They also exhibit astonishing individual problem-solving skills. Now, these, these guys are a bunch of little guys, and they get together in a colony. But they also are able to act on their own. I mean, individually, they have to be teeny tiny, though, right? Yeah, I'll show you some pictures. Okay. Here's another remarkable story. You're in a forest, you come across a patch of slime mold, you decide to conduct an experiment by placing it in the middle of a maze with two exits. One exit leads to a dead end, the other a nutrient-rich area. And you might assume the slime mold would randomly choose an exit, but you're mistaken. Studies have shown that slime molds are exceptional at finding the most efficient route to their food source. When placed in that maze, they extended their tendrils, constantly retracting and reevaluating their path until they discovered the shortest route to the nourishment. Over time, they adapt and learn, displaying an ability to solve complex mazes with remarkable efficiency. Tendrils? Yeah! I'm going to show you a picture here. Yes, please. God about time. Now, there are various types of slime mold. They don't all look like this, but here's one example. Oh my God. (laughs) They look like little tiny aliens walking around. (laughs) It's crazy. He looks like an ant made of ham. He's a ham ant. (laughs) So how do these brainless gelatinous blobs achieve all of these feats. That was your question. The answer lies in their extraordinary adaptability and the unique way they communicate with themselves, which is chemically based. Slime molds also have a network of thin threads called tubules that uh, permeate their entire body. Through these tubules, they can transmit chemical signals, enabling them to communicate with different parts of the body. It's a simple but effective form of communication, and it allows them to coordinate their actions. Wow. Yet they're all still individuals. That's kooky. It's really very body snatchers, though. When a slime mold encounters a new environment, it sends out exploratory tendrils to test the surroundings. If these tendrils encounter something edible, 
They retract and release a chemical signal that guides the rest of the slime mold toward the food source. Wow. And over time, this process of chemical signaling and exploration leads to efficient decision-making, whether it's solving mazes or creating complex transportation networks. Wow. It's really a great example to the incredible diversity and adaptability of life in general on this planet. Even been, if we don't know what kind of life it is. Even if we're not sure. These very simple organisms, it's challenging to understand, especially their level of intelligence and the role of a central brain in problem solving. It's a reminder that uh, intelligence in nature can manifest in very unexpected forms. I think that's a great thing to point out because so often we assume things about life and about intelligence and about all kinds of things. A great example is, okay, aliens, where could they live? And the assumption is if they were carbon-based life forms. Yeah, right. And you just can't, no. you can't make assumptions like that. No, Carl Sagan pointed that out. He said uh, it could very well be, uh, there could be life forms on other planets that are not carbon-based, but silicon-based. Mm, yeah, Carl and I, we're on the same page. It's just amazing that they have this collective wisdom and individual problem-solving abilities. It's, uh, it's really a beautifully complex system, although it's gross and I don't want to encounter it. <laughs> what does a puddle of slime mold look like? I mean, if that ham ant is just one, what's a bunch of them look like? Well, again, there are different types, and they and they take different forms. Let me see if I can find a, a puddle of one. Uh, not a puddle, but a larger group. Different species. Oh, okay. Okay. Some of them can be quite beautiful. Those oh, look that's like cute. African violets almost. Anyway, slime mold smart. Yeah, it seems that way. I got my information from um, a study called Road planning with slime mold, Pfizerum built motorways from the Newcastle International Journal. Intelligence, maze solving by an amoeboid organism from nature. Amoeboid is a fun word. And from Science Magazine, slime molds remember. But do they learn? I think the answer is yeah, yes. I pretty much understand. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. Mm. That was really fascinating. I'm Googling slime mold now. When's the last time you said you were Googling slime mold? Oh, Tuesday. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's 
A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. It was April 18, 1961, in Eagle River, Wisconsin. A farmer named Joe Simonton claims that he saw an alien spacecraft landing near his home and, quote, Italian-looking beings got out. They then busied themselves setting up a grill and started cooking food that Joe said resembled pancakes. Through mime, they asked Joe to fill up a water jug for them, which he did. He then asked if he could have some of their food. They gave him four pancakes, one of which he ate. Being scientifically minded, he took the others to a university to have them identified. The university reported all of the ingredients were from the good old planet Earth. Denise sends us this message. Hello, Kat and JG. I'm a huge fan. Started listening to you uh, about the end of September. Heard about you guys on the shallow end, which I heard about on Jim Harold's campfire. (laughs) I am now on episode 555. Holy crap. I'm almost caught up. I listen to you every morning on the way to work, all day, at work, in a boring factory inspecting tires, (laughs) and then on the way home. And also at home sometimes. My little freak kids love you too. And she sends a couple of stories here, but there's this one I wanted to share. So back when my son was three years old, he's now 12 and he doesn't remember this, but my, my grandpa had passed away. My son was very outspoken. He was going through that angry bird slash plants versus zombies stage. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And he used to carry around a plush zombie from Plants vs. Zombies. You know, the ones with the cone on the head. Well, 
It was right at the end of the funeral. The family was up next to the casket saying their goodbyes before they carried Grandpa out. We were all circled around, Grandpa crying, snot dripping from our noses, tears running down our faces. You get the picture. And out of nowhere, my little freak opens up his big mouth and says, Mommy? Yes, Bubby? Is Papa Jones going to turn into a zombie and eat our brains? (laughs) Everyone burst out laughing. (laughs) Hunter asked me what was so funny. I told him, no, he was not going to turn into a zombie. He's going to go to heaven and that grandma is waiting for him. So he said, oh, good, because grandma would be really mad at Papa if he ate all his kids and grandkids brains. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think she'd be too happy about that. <laughs> we all started laughing again, again and I told him, no, bub, I don't think she would. I'm raising freaks at a very young age. Keep doing what you're doing. I enjoy everything. You guys are amazing. Uh, you help my work days go by faster. And if you ever come to Southern Illinois, let me know. Love you guys. Denise. That is amazing. Hilarious. Alexina sent us a message and said, hi, firstly, sending you nothing but love and support through this tough time. Um, Just know that we are holding you all in our hearts. And that's very sweet. And I appreciate it. And we love you. And thank you. Secondly, I'm from Manitoba. Your story made me so happy. As for biscuits with the stew... I hate to be a bubble burster, but it would probably be Bannock here in Manitoba. (laughs) (laughs) Love you guys always. Of course, I had to look up Bannock, and that looks great, too. So I'm into it. And in New Brunswick, it would probably be uh, ploys, really thin crepe-like pancakes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, my uh, ex-fiance's grandmother used to make amazing, really thin crepe. And some people called it ploy. Some people called it crepe. Some call it a sling blade. Mm. Just stacks and stacks and stacks. And when you get the stack of crepe and then you kind of cut through it, the texture, it's, it Mm. gives me almost that like eye tooth through an ear kind of feeling. (laughs) Again, remember cat is from a line of cannibals. Stop. Anyway, Bannock looks great. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope. Never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge.
Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra themed content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. The box of it's oddities 1992. with Kat no, and Jeff <laughs> Stop trying to trick me. Okay, but for the sake of the story, it's 1992. Okay. okay. And the mayor of a town in Texas, Clay Henry II, murdered his father. His father had also been mayor. As you can imagine that, you know, in this small town, in this community, it was pretty big news. Hmm. It was, but no charges were filed. That's because Clay Henry II is a goat. Clay Henry Sr., who took office in 1986 and became a well-known political figure from then on. Uh-huh. Just want to get my head around it. So the mayor had two goats, and he named them after himself. The mayor was a goat. The mayor was a goat. Named Clay Henry. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm loving this. Now. Wouldn't be the first politician with cloven hooves. Now, this unfortunate incident uh, between the Clay Henrys took place in 1992. Clay Henry Jr. was sworn in after the death of his father, which doesn't seem like a... No, no. A good plan. No, if you kill the mayor, you shouldn't be sworn in as mayor. A two, Billy? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Clay Henry III became the third goat of the same name to hold mayoral office in Lajitas, Texas. He, like the previous goat mayors, live at the General Store and Gas, which is easy to find because it is the only business in Lajitas, Texas. Now, Clay Henry IV was sworn into office a few years after Clay Henry III stepped down after an assassination attempt. Oh, no. I don't know any details about that, but I have to assume it involved headbutting. I heard there was a second headbutter on the grassy knoll. Clay Henry I is actually taxidermied and lives inside the Starlight Theater in Terlingua, Texas, nearby. It's a place of honor. Yeah. Now, when you visit a new city, is your first thought, let's go meet the mayor? If I knew the mayor was a goat, yes, it would be right at the top of the list. (laughs) Plus, you could get some gas and groceries while you're there. Well, in Taquitna, Alaska, over 75% of visitors ask, where's the mayor? According to a news release, or they say, I have an appointment with the mayor, which is adorable because the mayor is a cat named Stubbs. (laughs) Stubbs is flooded with cards and letters, and he sees approximately 30 to 40 tourists each day. Now, Stubbs is widely described as having been elected after a write-in campaign. Reporters at NPR dispute that, but that didn't bother Stubbs any. He'd complete his day's work and then head over to a nearby restaurant and drink water mixed with catnip out of a wine glass (laughs) like a gentleman. Stubbs uh, did his official business from Nagley's General Store during his tenure. Now, Stubbs gained attention during the 2014 United States Senate election in Alaska when individuals encouraged voters to write Stubbs' name on the ballot as a form of protest. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
A video featuring Stubbs emerged in which the feline criticized the candidates from both Democratic and Republican parties (laughs) running for the Senate seat. I love this. This unique campaign aimed to highlight the general dissatisfaction with the available options and brought widespread attention to Stubbs' involvement in the election. Sadly, Stubbs did pass away in 2017 at the age of 20 after spending almost his whole life in politics. 20 years. Yeah. That's a long life for a kitty. Yeah. See, he was probably against term limits. (laughs) Probably one of the first examples of a non-human animal to hold public office was Boston Curtis. In 1938, during a monthly meeting in Milton, Washington, Republican Party members gathered to elect a committeeman to represent them at a county level. Surprisingly, the only written nomination presented was for a Mr. Boston Curtis, since he was the only one on the ballot. Sure. Mr. Boston Curtis won in a landslide, but Boston Curtis was a mule. A mule now. And the person who nominated him later admitted to the press that he had proposed the mule as a prank, never anticipating that people would actually (laughs) vote for a mule. Mm -hmm. And let's take a moment and just reflect on what a great name Boston Curtis is for, well, any animal in general, but but a mule, Boston Curtis. Come on. Come on, saddle up Boston Curtis. We're going to town. And you have to call him by his full name, obviously. Obviously, yes. It would be impolite otherwise. Boston Curtis even uh, playfully signed the nomination form with a hoof print (laughs) Mm -hmm. while sharing a laugh with city officials. Ultimately, the joke was on those who voted for a mule, um, but Boston Curtis did climb the ranks of the Republican Party. As the Milwaukee Journal put it, it was a pretty mean trick to play on a mule. (laughs) (laughs) Getting him into Uh, politics that way. But at least Boston Curtis can congratulate himself on being no more of a donkey than the 51 Republicans who voted for him without taking the trouble to find out he was a mule. (laughs) Yeah, just got to vote the party line. Now, according to several websites that I explored, any mayor or other local office holder must be able to complete the duties of their position. That's fine. Totally reasonable. They're required to have a signature be of legal age, and be a human. That's actually written, written in, the, uh, in the bylaws. I think it varies from place to place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Some municipalities, though, have found ways to circumvent such problems so that they can actually elect four-legged friends into office. In, in these cases, generally, non-human mayors will serve in a symbolic capacity, uh-huh, yeah. showing up at local events, Chewing through ribbons. Glad handing and Mm -hmm. such. Mm -hmm. And in many of these cases, these towns are so small that they don't actually require a human mayor. And if they needed to design a transportation system, they could rely on slime mold. Yeah, I think that's what we've learned that today. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the slime mold could be the new mayor. You know, I think if if you put slime mold on the upcoming ballots, (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if... uh, One of our next politicians... Looked like a ham ant? Looked like a ham ant. It has happened, though, that animals were permitted on ballots and subsequently elected after winning the popular vote. For instance, 
For the past two decades, Rabbit Hash, Kentucky has been a unique American town known for its unconventional mayoral tradition. Instead of human mayors, this small community has exclusively elected dogs. This is my kind of town. I know. With a population of around 500, Rabbit Hash is not officially recognized as a town, which makes having a canine mayor more of a, you know, symbolic gesture than a practical necessity. According to the Cincinnati Inquirer, the current mayor of Rabbit Hash is Wilbur, a charming French bulldog who I now follow on Facebook. He won the mayoral election in 2020. Despite his non-human status, he has embraced his responsibilities wholeheartedly. He actively participates in town events, diligently fulfills his mayoral duties, and has even been featured in several interviews. Wilbur's presence brings joy to the community, and he happily stops for pets and belly rubs, leaving a trail of smiles wherever he goes. I'm sure he does. Which is more than I can say for, oh, any politician ever. Yeah. Pretty much. I love the fact that he does interviews. Can you imagine the journalist that that was given that assignment, Mm -hmm. you know, that just graduated from university with a degree in, you know, bachelor's of journalism and looking to be the next big news reporter. Connie Chung. Yeah. And yeah, here's your assignment. You're going to go interview a dog mayor, a dog mayor. A cat fashion show. Exactly. (laughs) Stay classy, San Diego. I got my information from Ride Apart, Mashable, Only in Your State, NBC, and CNN. I think the world would be a better place if we had more dog mayors. Agreed. I, I'm pretty sure the dog we met last night was the mayor of Golden Prague. A local bar that we've been frequenting a lot lately. And I was very pleased to see a dog just running around this bar. And then when we made eye contact, the dog came over and laid down at my feet. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. Then I cried in a public place. Yep, she did again. So you may have noticed this is our 599th episode. And that can mean only one thing. Our next episode will be number 600. (laughs) Uh, And so Kat had an idea, and I think this is really cool. On the 600th episode, she's going to write my story And I am going to write hers. And we won't look at them beforehand. It will just be a car crash of terrible. I'm so excited. I think it's going to be really fun. So we look forward to that. (laughs) And we appreciate you guys hanging out with us. And thanks again for all of the kind words and and, and sympathy that that you've sent our way. It's made made this process of, of saying goodbye to Haggis a heck of a lot easier. Well, easier is not the right word, but tolerable. And we appreciate you for it. We love you. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, 
the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. This one's so cute. <laughs> Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.